In our um, messages, we've been looking at the verse that says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And we're continuing that today, looking at with all your mind. I think it's helpful to look at these individual parts of that verse and just explore what that actually means. But let's not... um, separate those in our mind loving God is a package deal as Adam reminded us last week we're all in for all of this so good to understand what they mean but let's not keep them in their separate boxes you can't really separate all these aspects of love which uh, is a complex kind of a thing working in a school I see lots of examples of young love blossoming even in my year eight maths class, where the students can choose to sit wherever they want, there's no set seating arrangements. And when a certain boy and a certain girl sit together for the first time, I think perhaps they just got to class a bit late and his mates had taken all the seats and her friends had taken all the seats. But when they sat next to each other a second time and a third time, I thought, oh, there's something going on here. The real giveaway was the day I noticed him sitting there, focused on work, elbow like that. (laughs) She was sitting there, focused on work, elbow like that. (laughs) And I couldn't be sure, but I reckon there were sparks flying between those elbows as they touched there. I'm not sure that algebra got much of a uh, part of their attention that day. And then... uh, Perhaps a week later or so, they were sitting there doing their maths work. His knee was like that. Her knee was like that. And I thought, I think Pythagoras is the unnecessary friend in this relationship today. So I'll have a bit of a chat with them on the way out. So uh, as they were leaving, I said, oh, guys, can we have an Uncle Mr Evans talk? And uh, they looked a little bit uh, puzzled. And uh, I said, you two like each other? They were embarrassed straight away, like, how would he know? How did he notice? <laughs> we're, we're here in maths to do maths. You're probably not thinking much about your maths work when you're sitting like this doing your maths, are you? And they were a little bit embarrassed. And I said, just remember the most important thing about a relationship is being good friends. Being good friends. But I don't think their minds were particularly engaged during that time. And often when we think about love, we don't think about the mind. We think about all the gooey, mushy kind of feelings and the sparks that fly around and so forth. So love is many things, but often loving with our mind is overshadowed. Could you imagine receiving this for a Valentine's card? How romantic, how romantic. Or could you imagine receiving this as a special gift? But the truth is that love involves more than just emotions. It involves our mind. It involves choice. 
It involves decision-making, commitment, involves dedication, understanding, knowledge of one another, thinking and logic, all of which comes from the mind. Now, experts in all of this area say that the mind can impact the emotions, the the emotions can impact the mind. But the mind can harness, it can regulate, and it can inform the heart, the rational over the emotional part of our being. And we've all seen an adult help a young child who's just totally losing it, just try to quietly and calmly, as much as you can, settle them and help them to calm down their emotions. Or perhaps you can think of times where you've logically tried to think through an emotional issue that you're going through. So the mind is a powerful part of loving and loving God. But we can't really consider anything to do with our mind without looking at this verse that comes from Romans chapter 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So our minds can be renewed. They're not fixed. They don't have to think the way they always do. Dr. Carolyn Leaf is a Christian neuroscientist who's been looking at this concept of the brain and the mind and the connection that they all make um, since the 1980s. And in her book, Switch on Your Brain, she says, as we think, we change the physical nature of our brain. As we consciously direct our thinking, we can wire out toxic patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. So science is only just discovering what God has known all along, that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. But my question is, who's doing that renewing? If it's self-regulation, then we can be jumping out of the frying pan and into the fire. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul urges us to be, uh, let the Spirit renew our minds and attitudes, as this uh, leads to life and peace. And I must be uh, the first to admit that at times my mind needs renewing and transforming as well, and sometimes even a high-pressure clean-out, as much as anybody else's. But there's plenty of verses in the Bible that go on to talk about the mind. In the New Testament, Paul, who had a wonderful mind, writes these passages in different sections of the New Testament. He uses the phrase, poisoned minds. He talks about minds that became dark and confused. He writes elsewhere that Satan has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. That their minds are closed and their hearts are hardened. Someone's minds are corrupt, depraved minds and a counterfeit fate. But he also talks about keeping a clear mind, being open-minded, And keeping our mind fixed on Jesus. So why so much in the Bible about the mind? Why there's so many verses and so many references to it? And so many cautions to make sure that our mind is where it should be. And I think because our minds are a battlefield. And not just the place where the battles are fought, but often the place where the battles are started. And it's a battle that can tear us away from God or cause us to cease doing the things that God is calling us to do. 
And the New Testament writers knew that that was such an important thing. We have to win that battle. Even Paul knew that. In Romans chapter 7, he says, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. And he goes on to talk about the power of sin and talk about the things that he knows that he should do, he doesn't do. And the things that he really wants to do, he doesn't. And there's this constant battle. But let me point out that without God, that battle in our mind is a battle that you will never win. But with God, the battle that we have is a battle that ultimately we can't lose. Paul goes on to say in that passage in Romans, thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. That answer to the battle of the mind, to that sin controlling us, to our thoughts and attitudes, it's all found in Jesus Christ. The verse that we're focusing on, Love the Lord Your God, is first mentioned in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, it says, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. You notice what's missing from that. The mind, that could get me off the hook from having to speak this morning. (laughs) It's Jesus who introduces that. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the time who prided themselves on knowing the law and being very clever and applying it and being able to answer all sorts of questions. And I think Jesus added that bit, and all your mind, to say to them, your mind, your clever minds, have also to love God. And I think he was challenging them with that. Use your sharp mind as an act of love towards God. But if we only focus on loving God with our mind and thinking about that, it makes loving God an intellectual kind of a process. And that lacks the warmth and the joy of a personal relationship with him. True knowledge of God, really knowing God, is more than intellect. And it leads to greater intimacy and obedience. And that's a key point about loving God with our mind. It leads to greater understanding of who he is, greater intimacy with him, and greater obedience. But if we were to only love God with our heart, the emotional part of us, our love for God would vary according to how we feel on any particular day. There'd be no consistency and nothing to fall back on. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis that says, Faith is the art of holding on to things your reason once accepted in spite of your changing moods. So at some stage our minds said yes to God. And though our hearts can vary from day to day, our faith is what keeps us steady and helps us to, uh, to hold on. So the whole part of loving God is, as I mentioned, a package deal. 
And I think to help us understand the mind's role in that package deal, there's three aspects that uh, we can think about. The first is that our mind allows us to love God through knowledge. Through knowledge. There's this fly buzzing around here. If I the uh, microphone and knock myself out please revive me <laughs> so to really love someone you have to know them many years ago I noticed that uh, our neighbor's young son and he well young I mean he was in his early 20s I suppose that his car wasn't parked out the front of our neighbor's place and I was talking to her and I said oh has he moved away with friends or to a different town and she said oh no He's just moved in with his girlfriend. I said, oh, okay. Yeah, they met just a couple of months ago. And I remember clearly she said, he's absolutely smitten. Absolutely smitten. And he's moved in with her. And, uh, and her young child from another father. I thought, okay, that's a pretty interesting kind of a development, pretty quick. And it was only a few months later I noticed that this son's car was parked back in front of our neighbour's place again. And uh, I was chatting to her one day. And said, oh, you know, is he visiting home or whatever? Oh, no, no, he's left her. She was a real fruitcake. And what happened was, to be blunt, he was in love with sex. And he got to know this lady and decided, really, they didn't get on very well at all. But I remember talking to a young woman once who was engaged. And I said, what is it that you, you really appreciate about your fiancé? Oh, I just love him. I said, that, that's wonderful. What is it that you really love about him? Because I believe you have to be able to answer that question. You have to know why you love somebody. I think it's pretty important. So I said, what, what specifically do you like about him? Oh, just everything. And I thought, she was in love with the concept of being in love. Not really knowing that person well. We have to know someone to really love them. So I'm asking you this question this morning. Why do you love God? Oh, I just love him. That's great. But I think we have to be able to answer that question. We have to know God enough to be able to give a specific answer. What makes God different from all the other options that the world presents? Why choose God over somebody else? And it's our knowledge of God that can help us to answer that question. But it can't be just a one-off kind of a thing we've learned about God. I think it's got to grow all the time. And if you're in a relationship with someone, you will appreciate getting to know them more and more and deeper and deeper all the time. It can't be based on something that you learned about them many, many, many years ago and you've learned nothing since. And it's the same with God. And 30 minutes on a Sunday morning won't do it for you. You need to consciously be growing in your knowledge of God. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God and the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and mind, as Jesus added. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road. When you're going to bed and when you're getting up, tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's that knowledge. That's the Bible urging us to know God. 
and to continue to know him, to apply what we know about him, to learn, to make it part of our daily life. And that deep knowledge of God becomes then a foundation that we can stand on when life is tough or if there's any kind of uncertainty. Knowing God allows us to love him through trust and obedience. We know who it is we trust in. We know what it means to obey him. It gives us understanding necessary to follow his will. Back to C.S. Lewis. In regards to following God's will, he says there's only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. Knowledge of God is crucial to our lasting love for him. And the second thing that our mind allows us to do when it comes to loving God is loving God through our memory. I don't know whether you're on Facebook, but occasionally I get on, once every two months, whether I need to or not. And it often pops up memories, what you were doing two years ago, or here's a flashback to last year, or here's when so-and-so had a birthday four years ago, whatever it might be. And as you recall those special moments, and, or even challenges that you work through, it often gives you that warm, fuzzy feeling. I remember that. There's this satisfaction amazement of how far you've come since that time or what a special trip that was or my haven't those kiddies grown it's so wonderful to have all those kind of memories but if you think about a time when somebody walked beside you through a difficulty or was there to celebrate something special with you or just been a consistent and long lasting friend over many many years Memories like that deepen our appreciation of someone and deepen our love for them as well. And it's the same for our love for God. In Isaiah 63, the Bible says, I will tell of the Lord's unfailing love. I will praise the Lord for all he has done. There's those memories of God that impact my love for him. I will rejoice in his great goodness to Israel, which he has granted according to his mercy and love. We go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. In the future, your children will ask you, what is the meaning of these laws, decrees and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? In other words, they're saying, why do we do this? Mum, Dad, why do we go to church? Why do you guys go off to prayer meetings? Why do we say grace? Why do we read the Bible around the table? Why do we do this sort of stuff? Then you must tell them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his strong hand. The Lord did miraculous signs and wonders before our eyes, dealing terrifying blows against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his people. He brought us out of Egypt so he could give us this land he had sworn to give to our ancestors. And the Lord our God commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear him so he can continue to bless us and preserve our lives as he has done to this day. For we will be counted as righteous when we obey all the commands the Lord our God has given us. There's the memories. There's the reasons for loving God, for obeying him, for making sure that we're constantly talking about them. What are your memories of God? What are your memories of God? 
If you've been saved for a long time, no doubt you'll recall his goodness, his comfort in hard times, special moments of, of revelation and answers to prayer. I know that in weeks and years and months to come, you'll be thinking back to this time with Ian and just remember being, sorry, and remembering just the goodness that God showed and his faithfulness. If you've only more recently been saved, then perhaps you don't have those memories. But can I encourage you to read through the Bible and tap into somebody else's memories and read about the good things that God has done or talk to those who are further along the journey and ask them, tell me your memories of God. What are some of those special things that he has done? What is your testimony? How can you bear witness to all that God has done? We have so much that we can be thankful for and it deepens our love for him. And the third way that our mind allows us to love God is through imagination. Imagination. God has given our minds the ability to think and to dream and to plan and create and imagine what could happen in the future. When you think of the future, my challenge is what part does God play in that future? He can't just be an add-on it's got to be centred around him, that my future is aiming towards that that God has for me and not my plans around God. Deuteronomy chapter 6 once more. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestor Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. It's a land with large prosperous cities that you didn't have to build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. When you've eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord. There's that memory thing who rescued you from the slavery in the land of Egypt. Imagine what that would be like to hear that that is your future. This amazing place full of things that are there to bless you. You didn't have to work hard to create them. Now, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen for our futures. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying we can imagine a future full of hope, full of joy, full of the blessings of the Lord in whatever form they come to us, full of purpose, full of promise. That's the kind of thing that we can imagine And that brings us closer to loving God. But the truth is we don't know the future. And there could be concerns and worries about the future. Well, God's got all that covered as well. In Psalm 49, uh, 94, sorry. When doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. So we do sometimes have doubts in our mind, but God can comfort us in that time. And in Isaiah 26, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts, minds, are fixed on you. So if imagining the future, imagining what's going to happen, causes us anxiety, causes us to be concerned or worried, We just have to let God have that all and know that he's got the future in his hand. That's the best place for it, I think.
So this knowledge, memory, imagination, heart, soul, mind, strength is all part of the package deal. And out of that wonderful package, I want to pull out a question that's a mind question. How do we know that we love God? How do you know that you love God? We can say that we love God and I guess there's an assumption that we do because we're gathered together here in a, in a family of God's uh, believers, God's followers. But how do you really know that you love God? How do you know that your life reflects that, that that's how you live? Once again, we go to Jesus for the example. In John chapter 14, he says, But I will do what the Father requires of me, so that the world will know that I love the Father. Not long after that, Jesus was in turmoil in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing the agony that he was about to go ahead with. And saying to God, is there any other way? If there is, let's do it. But if not, your will be done. That's showing love for God. Doing what God required of him. Even though it didn't feel so good. And that's the key. I think we're loving God when we're doing what he requires of us. Not what I feel is the right thing to do. Or what will make me feel good or what's probably the easiest way through this situation or what do others say I should do. But finding out what does God require of me. Very simply, when we love somebody, we put their needs above our own. And our desire is to fulfill the desires that they have. And it's the same for God. We know that we love God when we put his desires, his purpose, his will for us above our own. Perhaps there's something specific that God requires of you. And I've just brainstormed a whole bunch of them. See if anything is, is relevant to you. Perhaps God's requiring you to turn off the TV and spend time in the Bible. Just to show that you want to deepen your understanding and love for God. Perhaps he's requiring of you to make time to have time with God each day. To talk to a certain person you'd rather avoid. To give your money or time to someone or something when you don't seem to have much spare. To have someone for a meal, to talk to a neighbour about God. To get off those websites. To commence that study. To change your job or stick with your job. Apologise to someone you're holding a grudge towards. Offer to support a church program. Give up chasing your own dream and seek God's future. Learn not to worry. Give away something significant to somebody who really needs it. Move out of town. Get on your knees and pray. Call that family member and make things right. Preserve, uh, sorry, persevere through the hard stuff. Take on that leadership role. Stop seeking after status in the eyes of other people. To give without expectation of anything in return. And the list could go on and on and on. What is it that God requires of you? How can you show 
And how can you know that you really do love God? I wonder if there's anything in that list that uh, resonated with you or whether that's jogged something in your own mind. If it has, if it stirred something up, make a note of it. Say, God, if this is what you require of me, I'm going to show that I love you by fulfilling that requirement. Well, maybe there's nothing specific that jumped out of that list and someone thought, Graham's just dreaming again. Maybe there was nothing specific there for you. But again, the Bible might have the solution. In the Old Testament book of Micah, now I'm not sure whether God ever feels exasperated with us. I suspect at times he does. But this is one of those occasions where we could imagine this is how God is feeling. God's chosen people once more had turned from him, disobeyed him, were sinful, complacent towards him. And in Micah, the people are actually described as experts at doing evil. And God asks them the question, what have I done that you've grown tired of me, that I've become a burden to you? And he reminds the people of all that he's done, just as we heard read in Deuteronomy a few moments ago. And the people's response is, God, what should we do? Do we offer a sacrifice of our animals? Do we pour out rivers of oil from our produce to sacrifice to you? It even says, do we sacrifice our firstborn to pay for our sins? They're asking God, how can we be restored? How can we show that we love you? And God's response in Micah 6 verse 8, No, O people, you don't need to do all of those things. I've shown you what is good and this is what God requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So if we really want to love God, and know that we love God, no, that's our mind, without a doubt, very simply, do what God requires. Do what's right. And he prompts us to know what's right. We know in here. Just do it. Be kind and merciful to others. Don't desire their downfall or ignore them in their needs, even if what they're doing seems totally irrational to you. And walk humbly with God. The concept of walking with God is way back in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, where God would come to Adam and Eve and walk with them in the cool of the evening. And there's something lovely about that image, isn't there? That God just coming down, it's been a hot day, the garden's nice and cool, there aren't any mosquitoes or anything like that. And God's just walking along, just chatting with these people. I love that image. I love that image. And imagine just walking humbly with God. Not to get something out of it, but simply because he loves us and we love him. I'll get the band to come up, please. If you were here at church with us last year, each week we had a weekly challenge. I know it's not 2017, but I have a weekly challenge for you. There's a famous verse in poetry that says, How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. And it's actually not Shakespeare. Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote those words in 1850, not that long ago. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. My challenge to you is this. Take a quiet moment 
Ask that question of God. God, how do I love you? Let me count the ways. Let me list the things that I do. Is it through my knowledge and understanding and growing more and more in that to appreciate you? Is it through all the things that you've done for me that I can remember? Things that I've heard about from other people's lives. Is it about the future that I imagine with you just walking hand in hand? Is it about fulfilling requirements? Is it about obedience? Doing those things, God, that I know you're calling me to do, even though they might be hard. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. In that poem, the author actually writes this line. I love thee with the passion put to use. And isn't that great? I love thee with the passion put to use. So the passion we have for God, that heart, that desire to know him more and more, we put that to use. It's not just that good feeling, not those elbows touching, but it's put to use in some way. How do you put to use the love that you have for God? Reflect on those things through the week. God, how do I love you? Let me count the ways. Let's pray. God, we thank you that your love for us is endless. It's absolutely consistent. That it's faithful, even when we are not. Father, I pray that you will speak with us, our hearts and our minds that we may grow in our understanding of who you are and love you all the more for it. Forgive us, Lord, when we fail to live like people who love you. When people would wonder, well, are they Christians or not? Forgive us when we can't answer the question, why, why do we love you? When we know you've given everything for us. Father, I pray that we will love you with all that we have, with every part of our being. We thank you for who you are. Amen.